Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to have those of you who are here and on time. We always appreciate that. And we're going to get started. This afternoon, our presenter is um, um, attorney Jackson Doggett, pastor in the Allegheny East Conference, his wife, Celia. Um, he's also the general conf um, Council and Parole Director of the Allegheny East Conference. He has three adult children and a beautiful grandbaby, Vivian. I am very, I'm, my mind and heart is on the grandchildren, so I had to make sure he gave her um, that name. Not the name, but to make sure I had the name to present to me. That's the most important part of this presentation. Um, he has five licenses um, to practice law in the state of Florida, Pennsylvania, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, and also with the federal court bar and the U.S. Supreme Court bar. Um, please talk to Clarence Thomas after you get finished with today's presentation. He has several certifications, certified as a nonprofit executive, a developmental executive, a nonprofit consultant, and a diversity professional. Um, he's a board member of the National Association of Nonprofit and Organizations and Executives. I have known Pastor Doggett for several years, very personal, very intelligent, and the presentation that you will hear this evening will be highly representative of what you have come to understand and to be a presenter of. Um, Pastor Doggett, it's a pleasure to have you here today presenting to this group, and as other people come in, we'll try to catch them up. Let's have prayer and get started. Our Heavenly Father, thank you once again for your many blessings that you provided, and we ask, dear Father, that you might be with this presentation this evening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I always like to begin with, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I'm a walker, so I'm going to hold this and walk around. Um, before we begin, and we have quite a bit of competition uh, today, so hopefully you'll be able to hear clearly, and we will... Um, be able to gain something. I wrote this book, Retaining the Harvest, How to Attract, Engage, and Keep the People You Who Join Your Ministry. I wrote this book because the very first job I had when I came into the Adventist church was to do a consulting job for the Southern California Conference. They were uh, baptizing over 100 people, George Rainey, was an evangelist, and he was baptizing over 100 people per summer evangelistic campaign. But by the end of the year, there'd be 10 people they could find. So my job in the summer of 1979 was to go and visit people who had joined the church by baptism that summer, uh, previous summer, but were no longer coming to church. We found out three things. Three things. The top three reasons people left. What do you think they might be? Why do you think people might leave once they've come in? Now, I will give you a hint. They said specifically they still believe the doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. When they joined the church, they still believe them. But they left. Why do you think they left? No connection. No connection. All right, number, well, I will give them in no particular order, but that was the number one reason. Uh, one of the reasons was that the evangelist was not the pastor. So there had been the transition from evangelist to pastor was not being done effectively. So they had a relationship with the evangelist, but not with the pastor. Secondly, that rose to the top, the church was nothing like the tent. In the tent, they had little Richard singing the gospel songs every night. 
literally. That's who, the, who was the song person singing the songs. So they said it was nothing. And the other thing that happened in the tent, of course, there were Bible instructors who would actually go and pick the people up, bring them, give them Bibles, visit them during the week. They had a real relationship, but when they got to the church, nobody really talked to them because nobody knew them, and they didn't know anybody. So they said the main reason they left, and most of them went back to the churches that they had left, was because all their friends were in that church. So that's what, what motivated me to start thinking about how do we keep the people we win? Now, unfortunately, we're finding with dwindling baptism records that we need to be refreshing how we're bringing them in, too. But what I'm going to talk about is a system for consistent growth. That's what we're going to be talking about here today. I'm going to tell you honestly that you're not going to get all the particulars because it's too much to do in an hour. But you will get a 30,000-foot view of the system. And hopefully by the end of this presentation, you will know the main elements of the system, which, by the way, is flexible and contextual, which means everybody doesn't have to do the exact same thing for it to work. And that's why it's a good system. I recommend you take some notes because one good idea could transform your ministry. So hopefully you will get that one good idea today. Now, this is not news. Everyone knows the Great Commission. There are three things in the Great Commission. The Bible says, make disciples, baptize them, and teach these new disciples. We know this. So that's what you can expect from this system, a way to continuously make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. That's the goal of the system, growth. Most churches... Now, implementation is a totally different thing. Implementation is different from the knowledge of the system that we're going to get today. Implementation is a horse of another, another color. Uh, and uh, we can talk a little bit about that. But you can do it yourself. Once we talk about, you can get the book, you can put together your system. It's actually a system that does not rely on talented people for it to work. That's what's important. If your system is based on personality or talent, it's not duplicatable. Because when that person leaves, the system leaves. So what we're talking about is a system that anybody can keep going uh, because it's not based on talent or personality. So you could get the book and do it yourself. I offer, offer uh, free monthly question and answer period. We get on a webinar and just talk about best practices, how we can do this better, etc. And the next one is on June the 30th. If you want to come to it, all you got to do is send me an email, jackson at jacksondogget.com, and I will invite you, send you the link. You can come on in and we can have a good time. Or you could hire a coach. Are you struggling to grow? I'm going to race through part of this, and then I'm going to slow down on the most important parts. Are you struggling to grow? Most churches are. There are about 350,000 churches in the United States. The average attendance is about 75 people, and approximately two out of every three churches are either declining or plateauing. This is a fact. At least it was in February 2019, and that was before what? the pandemic. So after the pandemic, it's gotten worse simply because in the Adventist church, because we've done such a good job of teaching tithing, tithe in most of the conferences has not really gone down, but attendance has. Uh, and therefore, we've got to talk about how do you go forward in a hybrid ministry context? We'll touch that. We're not going to get too deep into that. We will touch it in this presentation. Ellen White says the best help you can give that ministers can give is not sermonizing, but planning work for your members. Planning work for your members. Also, everyone who is added to the ranks by conversion is to be assigned his or her duty, post of duty. 
So the system depends on people being involved in the system. So uh, it's something that you can help. Now here's the whole system, and I'm going to help you remember it. Repeat after me. Three phases. Three stages. Five groups. Let's say it again. Three phases, three stages, five groups. One more time. Three phases, three stages, five groups. The three phases are attract, engage, and keep. Three phases. Phase one, attract them. Phase two, engage them. Phase three, keep them. Now, all of these are happening simultaneously, but if you are a small ministry, especially a very small ministry, you probably have to do them in phases because you don't have the personnel to create and maintain the full system in the beginning. But you will be able to if you follow the phases. Now, the three stages, stages are, and it'll make sense to you later. It's not up here. It'll come up here later. The first stage is to create a wonderful experience. The word is experience. What's the word? Experience. Stage one, you must focus on creating a tremendous experience. I will explain it. Phase two is to explain to people why. The word is why. What's the word? Why? And number three, I mean, the next thing, uh, 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 number three, the third stage is nurture. This line under with the nurture is symbolizing the whole system is undergirded with nurture so that nobody can fall through the cracks. That's the goal. Nobody falls through the cracks. Three phases. Phase one is phases. The first three phases. What's the first one? Attract. The second phase is engage. The third phase is keep. First stage is experience. Second stage is why. You'll ex I, it'll become very clear in, in just a minute. Third stage is Nurture, nurture, that's so you can keep. Five groups, these groups I got from Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Church, but I believe he's accurate, therefore I use it. There are five groups in every congregation. There are five groups in every congregation. There are only five groups in every congregation. There are no more, there are no less. There are five groups in every congregation. First group is the community. I define the community as people who don't even know you exist. They don't even know you exist. Or they might know you exist, but they have had absolutely no interaction with you. That's the community. Second group that you must deal with is the crowd, the crowd. The crowd are those who come occasionally. They may be members. They may not be members, but they come to your ministry occasionally, like at Thanksgiving or at Christmas, or at your Easter program, or for vacation Bible school. They're not regular attenders. They show up occasionally. That's a group you got to deal with, and it is a fertile ground for growth, by the way. The third group that is in your congregation is the congregation. <laughs> the congregation I define as the people who come on a regular basis. They might be members. They might not be members, but they come on a regular basis. The fourth group are the committed, the committed. The committed are those who are actually engaged in your ministry. They're doing something in your ministry. They're the ushers, the deacons, the elders, the, your, the people who are involved in doing some kind of work in your ministry. And then the fifth group is your core. That is the leaders in your ministry. So there are five groups. How many groups? They are the community, the 
the, the, and the core. I have a magnet over there. That's what that's supposed to be, a magnet. To symbolize, you want to draw those five groups from one group to the next group, but you must be intentional about it or it won't happen. It might happen. It won't happen on a regular basis. You've got to be intentional about how you're going to draw people from the community to the crowd, to the congregation, to the committed, to the core. I will tell you, most of your people will hover between the core and the congregation. Nobody is going to be in one group and stay in that group between those three. They hover back and forth. They get tired. I'm not serving this year. I'll come on a regular basis, but I'm not serving. So that core fell back to congregation. That's not a problem. You just have to know it happens, and you have to know what you need to keep your ministry going and growing. So uh, that will be the committed. Now I'm going to explain as we go along why the three stages are important. So this whole system is really infrastructure. It's infrastructure, how your ministry can have the bones. This is just the bones. You put the skin and the muscles and all that other stuff over it, and that's unique to your ministry. But what I'm talking about is infrastructure and just bones. One thing that must happen, which most churches it does not happen, and I can tell you after 40 years of pastoring them, after 40 years of observing them, I can tell you most churches have no clear way to guide people in your ministry. The what happens is somebody will invite them or they'll come. They will come into the ministry, but they don't know what's going on. They just are spectators, usually of a worship service, and that's pretty much it. They don't know how to become a member. They don't know how to anything. They just know I'm here. I do or I don't enjoy this experience. That's all they really know because we have not set up signposts for how they matriculate in this ministry and what advantage it is to them for them to do that. Almost no church does that. So I'm just mentioning that now so I can say guests must know how to matriculate. If I come as a guest, well, we'll talk about that in just a second. Um, guests must know how to matriculate. I have found... I actually have tried to go to the live stream of some churches that I know exist, and I can't find their live stream. I try to go to their website, can't find where the live stream is. It's vital if we're talking about real growth that people know how to get to you. The experience, which is not what I'm talking about now, but I'll say it because it's on my mind, the experience begins before they leave their house to come to your church. If they're coming uh, uh, literally. And it begins with their search for your church if they're going to just watch it. The experience will determine whether they keep coming. The experience will determine that. So live streaming I personally make this suggestion. Stop live streaming. Why? Because you have no idea who's watching. You see numbers, but there's no way. There are ways to engage, but I have found most churches are very poor at doing it. So here, we're live streaming to YouTube and Facebook. And there are people chatting, but there's nobody finding out who's the guest. Because what I see is, happy Sabbath, Brother Joseph. Happy Sabbath, Sister Sue. Happy Sabbath. That's what I'm seeing in the chat. And guests who are watching don't know you, so they're not really engaging with you. So you don't know who the guests are. Then a lot of churches don't even ask the guests to identify themselves. Don't even ask. And then when they ask, they don't do it because they don't know you yet and they don't have an incentive to do it. So the live stream is very ego gratifying for the congregation 
and it's very convenient for the members, but it doesn't help you grow your church really. Now, I know some churches, we've got people all over the world watching, and they send money and all of that. Thank God for it, but most, most churches are not experiencing that. They're seeing the 33 people who watch the live stream and then the 200 that see it later in the week. Here's why I suggest you stop live streaming, so that you can engage with your guests. How do you engage with your guests? This is just a suggestion uh, that I'll bring up again called Alter Live. It's a way for people to be invited. Guests can lurk. They don't have to identify themselves, but you know they are a guest. And you can actually directly uh, chat with them. You can invite them to do things. You can send uh, announcements to them. There are a lot you can do to engage the guest. Engagement is the key. If all you're doing is live streaming, now I've said this to a lot of people, and I don't know one, one pastor that stopped live streaming. I don't know one. Because everybody's live streaming, so I'm going to live stream too. And my members like it. Here's what I suggest you do instead. Have something like Altar Live where they have to come to the live event and they're in the event. They can't watch it on YouTube. They can't watch it on Facebook until it's over. And then you put up the, the, the uh, feed from that engagement that they can watch anytime they want, but it's not live. You haven't lost anything because you weren't engaging the guests on that live stream anyhow. How many see some wisdom in that? Uh, I, I at least got a hand that said they see wisdom, but yes. I, at, to, at the end, because I'll never get finished with everything I'd like to do, but yes, at the end, I can talk about that. Okay. So guests need to know if they want to be baptized, it ought to be simple. They ought to know how to do it. And I'll explain some things you can do to make that happen. If they want to become a member, they ought to know. They shouldn't be searching around, what do I do next? You ought to have the information at their, that they're ready for them that they can access themselves so that they know how to matriculate. They want to get involved in a ministry. They, they have a passion for handing out food in the food ministry. How do they get involved? They shouldn't have to wait for someone to ask them. They should be able to access the information and be able to get involved. And then leadership. I want to be a leader in the church. Our tradition is you can't be a leader till we vote you in every year or every two years. But what if you need leaders and it's not at the election time yet? So they ought to know what is the process at this church to become a leader here. They ought to know, and it ought to be accessible to them. That, by the way, just what I said here can change a lot of things in your ministry. Just this. If you didn't get anything else, you don't see a system, nothing. Just this could make a tremendous difference. All right. Uh, clear roadside. Now, this is kind of talking about the experience. The experience. First thing, it ought to be easy for how to find your physical building. Easy. So when they go to your website, they shouldn't have to click 15 times to figure out what your address is. It ought to be very clearly articulated. And you, I advocate there ought to be guest parking spots that only guests can park in, even if you have limited parking. Now, in order for this to happen, the congregation needs to understand why that's important. If they don't understand, they're going to say, I've been, I built this church. Why don't I have a parking spot? Well, maybe you should have a parking spot, but every member can't if we've got 10 parking spots and 100 members. We got to have at least one of those 10 for our guests. Make it simple. Make the experience wonderful for them. Because we're hybrid, there are some churches who have to register make regs in order to come in because they're only having limited numbers of people in the building. Well, if that's the case, the registration ought to be frictionless. It shouldn't be hard at all. They should be able to see how to do it, and it's not a 30-page questionnaire. <laughs> it's got to be simple. 
simple. Uh, how to get questions answered, all of that. So, and then you need tools, tools. I am a strong advocate, most Adventist churches that I know don't have church management software. Most do not. They have e-Adventist, which all churches need to have for reporting, but it's a lousy church management software system because it wasn't built for that. You need to do some research and have a church management software system. Why? Because your raw material is people and contacts. That's the raw material for the growth of your church. And if you don't have a way to keep track of your raw material, you're not going to do very well in building up the church. You're just not. Church management software is very important. Brochures, both digital and physical, are very important. And I'm going to make some suggestions on some of the brochures you should, every church should have. Equipment is important and your calendar is important. I'm going to go over those very briefly. Um, church management software will track, remember I said there are five groups? You ought to know where every member of your church is, which group they're in. And when they transition from one group to the next, you ought to be able to track so you know where they are, so you know what kind of, of, of um, plans of care to give to attract them to another spot, uh, in, uh, to another group. Communications. Most churches are terrible at communications, but that's something the church management software can help you with. Donations, e-Adventist is the best thing going because it doesn't cost. You get the whole contribution as opposed to the contribution minus the fee. So e-Adventist is the best thing going out there. And then integration with other systems. So I'm rushing because I'm trying to get to the bones. <laughs> and and uh, all right. Guest information. If you have guests, anecdotally, anecdotally, I've been to many churches who fill up their guest book and put it in the trash and fill up another one and do nothing with the names in the guest book. The purpose of getting the names is because that's your raw material for growth. Uh, so if you're live streaming, find a way to ask the, the guests to identify themselves Find a way to incentivize them to identify themselves so you can begin a relationship with them because we said the number one people reason people leave is because they don't have a what? Relationship with people. You've got to earn the right to build a relationship with people. You want to systematize what you're doing so that it's not dependent on an individual to remember to do it. It's a system that whoever is uh, a part of maintaining the system, they will know how to do what needs to be done. That means documentation. Because the bottom line is you want to establish relationships with people. I already talked about tagging uh, everybody. Brochures. Here are some brochures, I think, digital and physical that should be in every church. How to become a member at your church. They ought to not have to ask somebody. They ought to be able to know how to become a member, how to get baptized What at this church. What is baptism? What's the value of it, etc.? How to spiritually grow at this church. You could have a video on it. You can have a physical brochure, how to join a ministry at the church. If I want to become involved in a ministry, what is it that I have to do to become involved in a ministry. In my view, these are some basic, I'm going to give you a couple of more, uh, are some basic, this is basic information. Anybody who comes to your church ought to be able to access frictionlessly so that it's not hard to get this information. Uh, how to start a ministry at the church. There are people who have these ideas of ministry. Well, you ought to decide how does that happen at this church. How to become a leader at the church. There are people who say, I've got this gift and talent, but that person's been in the position all the time I've been here for the last 15 years. How can I become that leader? Well, there ought to be a way, and what your system is should be clear. I believe in ministry job descriptions. I believe in that. 
The manual has some descriptions, but I think like on any job, there ought to be job descriptions, simple job descriptions, and I will go one step further and say people should apply to the job. In other words, I want to be a deacon. Well, here's what deacons do, and here's the application to become a deacon. Simple application with a short interview so people understand expectations. What's expected of them, what's expected of the church. Uh, baptismal lessons and Bible studies, these are, of course, other uh, things digital and literal that they should be able to have. Documentation, make it accessible. Uh, and then, of course, other uh, equipment that you need. I'm going to spend just a minute on calendar. Every pastor, in my opinion, needs to have two calendars, a personal calendar and a church calendar. And, in my opinion, you ought to plan two years out. Start with your personal calendar before you work on your church calendar. The importance of that is, especially if you have children, your children are going to grow up and leave, and you can't get that time back. You've got to plan for it so that you can make the most of it while you have it. Uh, and then your church calendar. So I'm going to make some suggestions. Every pastor ought to have some personal Bible study and prayer, daily family worship, daily family time, daily reading time, weekly personal day, weekly family night, weekly date night with your spouse. I cannot overemphasize the importance of that. Uh, family vacation time, personal growth time, and personal project time. In my view, all that goes in a personal calendar before you start working on your church calendar. Now, some people will say, wait a minute, don't let your personal life interfere with your job. Uh, I agree. Don't let you, I say it differently. Don't let your personal life be an excuse for not doing your job, but don't let your job steal all of your personal life. Ministry calendar, I've, of course, put retain the harvest system activities, which we will talk about. Weekly services and ministries, you know that you have. Weekly uh, meetings, monthly baptisms, monthly meetings, all those things, annual. You know what goes on your annual calendars. But I say do it two years in advance. The, the reason for two years in advance is so that the church knows what's coming and has plenty of time to plan for it so that whatever it is you're doing is done with excellence rather than always rushing to get something done so you could say you did it, rather than actually make the most of it. So that's all in the book. Then finally, I'm going to say this. Less is more. Less is more. Less is more. What do you mean? In the Bible, when they turned the world upside down, they only did four things. The Bible says very clearly in Acts 2, 42 and 47, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, four things. Apostles' teaching, fellowship, meals, including the Lord's Supper, and prayer. Fellowship was building community, and that's where a lot of our time is, building community around, uh, um, uh, oh, my, building community about around um, things that you have in common. So if I like to ride motorcycles, I get a group of people who in the church I know ride motorcycles, and we could be a small group in the church. You follow what I'm saying? Finding a way to build community in small groups and in larger groups. I think that's very important. The Bible says the Lord added every day to the church when they just did these four things. Less is more. Now, why am I saying that? The church manual has 27 ministries with about 44 positions. And I know a church with 20 attending members who declare they have 27 ministries and 44 positions. You and I both know they don't, but here's the thing. The church manual is both a blessing and a curse in this way. It's a blessing because you learn a lot about your church from the church manual. You learn a lot about how to do things in the church. From your church manual, you learn the biblical undergirdings for things. In the church manual, the curse is... Every church thinks they have to do everything that's in the manual, and they don't have the resources to do it. That's a problem. That's why I'm saying 
less is more. So I'm suggesting that we have to rethink what the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 13, and 14, what the Holy Spirit has placed in the church and what you can do with what's been placed in the church rather than trying to simply duplicate the church manual, which is more, is more conducive to a maintenance ministry than a growth ministry. You've got to figure out what we need to do to grow, not simply exist. So that's my big, uh, and by the way, that's a, a page out of the 1934 church manual. Looks almost like the 2015 church manual. <laughs> when you look at it, same jobs, same thing in it. Now, let's get to the nitty-gritty. There are three phases, how many stages? Three stages, how many groups? Five groups. All right. Let's talk about attracting. What do you do? What is your system? How do you attract, that's the key word, attract people from the community who doesn't know you into at least the crowd having some interaction with you? You must prayerfully think about, and a lot of these seminars have all kinds of ideas, but one of the ideas in my book is you plan Four events, one per quarter, based on something that happens that people are used to attending. For instance, a Mother's Day celebration, a Christmas celebration, Thanksgiving celebration, uh, um, Easter celebration, summer vacation Bible school. You have something that you have designed to minister to people in the community. That's your system for attracting people. There are people who have feeding programs. Well, that's a way to attract people, and you should think of it of a, as a ministry even beyond simply providing food. It ought to be, how am I attracting them to come from the community to become part of the crowd? The crowd being people who occasionally come. You, what I'm saying is you must have an intentional, documented way at your church of moving people from one group to the other. So the first phase, which is coupled with the first stage, is pulling people from the community to the crowd to the congregation. The strongest thing to do that with, in my opinion, is you must create an experience that is irresistible. Now, you are not going to create an experience that everybody likes. That's why there are all kinds of restaurants. There's Cheesecake Factory. You know what kind of experience you're going to get when you go there. There's McDonald's. You know what kind of experience you're going to get when you go there. They have created their experience that they duplicate everywhere they put a franchise. What I'm saying is you have to determine what is the experience you are going to give, and it should be intentional and guest-focused, not member-focused. Members, I have found, like to stay in church all day because, especially older members, they got nothing else to do on the Sabbath. Let's stay all day. Let's have early morning service. Let's have Sabbath school. Let's have lunch. Let's have a Bible study in the afternoon. Let's have AY in the afternoon. And then let's have a social that night. Let's stay together all day. Most people in the United States now are not religious. So when you invite them to church, they're not in the all day at mind frame. They're in the, how long is this going to last? And what am I going to get when I get there? So the experience has to be attractive. It's got to be easy to find, easy to park. And I say that because we're in the Northeast, and a lot of churches don't have parking lots. So what do you do to make it easy to, to park? I literally have had to walk five, six, eight, ten blocks when I park to go preach at some churches. 
if I were a guest, not doing that every week. Just not. So what are you going to do to make the experience attractive? When they come in, how are you going to make the experience attractive? Make them feel like, like at the tent. Whenever I got to the tent, people saw me. They ministered to me. They knew me. They took care of me. What experience are you going to present to get people who are in the community to want to become part of the crowd, to want to become part of the congregation, meaning they come on a regular basis? The main way you get that done is by creating an experience that is attractive, the experience. It is the experience they get at your church, not every church. Your church, because it's the experience you have created. I'm not quite sure where, how much time I have. Okay. And I, I, I put some things here. You could take a picture of that. How much time do I have? What's that? 29 minutes. Okay, we can get it done. You can take a picture of that. I'm not going to go over. My, the main thing is experience. That's what's pulling people in stage one. Phase one is attracting. Stage one is pulling them through by the experience. Now, uh, I said I would talk about that. Um, all right. To create the experience, you got to know your target. A lot of people don't want to put any time into this, but it is important that you know the demographics and psychographics of your primary target. Because everybody is not coming to your church. I don't care what you offer. Everybody's not coming to your church. They're going to come, and primarily it is what it is. They're going to look to see if they themselves are in that church. That's who they're looking for. Who is in there like me that I can relate to? That's really what's happening. And some people, you know, make a big deal. Oh, you all. The main thing is you don't exclude people. But you need to know who you are targeting. Who are the people most likely to become in relationship with you? Now, you're going to get all kinds of people, but when you look at it, look at your current church. What is the primary demographic and psychographic? That's who you're more likely going to attract around the world, by the way, because everybody now has a world ministry. Everybody, because of the Internet and because people are, are open to uh, engaging through the Internet. So you got to know that. I suggest surveys if you need more information to understand the psychographics and uh, adjust your worship experience to me or more impactful online through engagement. Engagement is key or you're not going to build the relationship anyhow. And the relationship is what you're after. Um, I suggest that you be guest focused. You should acknowledge your guests. You've got to get your guest contact information or you're not going to build a relationship. Uh, some other things I'd suggest there is highlight whatever community impact you're having. Make sure that that's clear to people and how they can get involved. People don't, you know, they want to be involved in something bigger than themselves. And if you don't offer that, they're probably not going to stay with you long. Okay? So be guest focused. The number one way to get guests to your church is what? Give me some ideas. What's the number one way to get guests to your church? Food. Good idea. That's up there. I would not say number one, but that's definitely up there. Anybody else? Recognize you're getting close. That's warm. Getting warm. Friends, to put a finer point on it, your members are your number one resource for getting guests. And if your members are not inviting guests, there's a problem at your church that you better figure out. Because if what your members are getting is so good, they want other people to get it. Just like when they find sales on shoes, they tell their friends. When they see 
food prices are down over at this store, or gas prices are down at that gas, they tell their friends. If they're not telling their friends about your church, there's a problem in your church. you got to figure it out. There's something that they are not happy with or they don't want to bring their friends to. Got to figure out what that is. And there are several ways to do it. But the other thing is a lot of times we don't teach our members the importance of inviting their friends. So we've got to put some time into giving them the why, the why, the why. If they don't understand the why, they're not going to care about the how. So you got to teach them how, but they've got to know why. That's important. Your number one resource for getting guests are the people who are already in your church. That's number one. You got to figure that out. Okay, here we go again. There are how many phases? Three phases. What are they? There are two sta- three stages. What are they? Nurture. Experience why nurture. And you are attracting people through the system. You're not pushing people through the system. You're attracting. Pushing doesn't work. Okay. You have to have a system to move the people. I've already said that. Um, So current member invitations, number one, discover the problems, address the problems, and train the members. That's important. That, my friends, if you do that, you will level up your ministry. I'm telling you, just that, you will level up your ministry. Um, So to move the people from community crowd, digital outreach has to be on point. I cannot tell you how many, how many um, uh, uh, church websites I go to to find out what they did in 2017. They don't update their website. I don't know what's going on at the church now, but I know what they did in 2017. What does that communicate? These people aren't serious. Now, maybe the problem, you don't have anybody to update your website, but that's a problem you've got to solve. You got to solve it. And if you can't get someone in the church to do it, there are, are uh, uh, Fiverr and these other places where you could hire somebody to do it. But it must be done because it's communicating something about your organization. It's vital. It is vital. Um, that, that, that's another strategy. Uh, community, and I already talked about these different days. Uh, so moving the crowd to the congregation some suggestions, pastor's reception. You've been coming on a now and then basis. One of the things you might do is just once a quarter have a pastor's reception for the people who are tagged as part of the crowd. It's an intentional, it's not a, everybody comes, everybody's not invited. The crowd, the, the crowd is invited because we're trying to get you to become part of the congregation. So here's an idea. When you have the pastor's reception, it's with a target to move the crowd to become part of the congregation. So what are you going to have? You're going to have a couple of couples there, maybe even families, who are thrilled about the church. And you're going to invite the crowd people, and when they come, uh, reception with the pastor. When they come, it's not for the food. So don't plan a great big spread banquet. It could be punching cookies. It doesn't really matter what it is because when you get there, you want to be building relationship. And then you want to say, brother and sister Smith, you've been a member of the church for about three years now, haven't you? Why do you like this church so much? And they start talking enthusiastically about why they like the church. And the people who are in the crowd, I come every now and then. I'm not really engaged or anything. I come in. But they're hearing, man, I didn't know that was going on there. Pathfinders, what's Pathfinder? I've got a teenager, and some of the things you're talking about there sound like they'd be interested in. You follow what I'm saying? You are intentionally trying to bring people from one group to the next with a specific strategy. So another thing is annual homecoming. A lot of times, homecoming is just a lot of money spent to say, we've been here another year. Why not make that day a day of visioning and inciting the, exciting the crowd with what this church is actually doing to be a blessing in the community? 
So it's vision casting. You might still have a week of every pastor who's been there, come by and preach and all that. You can do whatever you want to do, but you have a reason. I'm moving the crowd to the congregation. You follow what I'm saying? All I'm saying is you must be intentional, and when you are intentional, you begin to see movement. Okay? That's all I'm trying to say. Uh, So, I'm going to... So the first phase and the first stage kind of work together. We want to attract them. What do we want to attract? And we want to move them by an experience. We have dialed in our experience, and these are the people who get moved by experience. To get to the second phase and the second stage, you've got to now get people engaged, but they're not going to engage until you tell them why. They have to know why it's to their advantage, not the church's advantage, their advantage to become an engaged member of this ministry. So experience is the first main thing in the first phase and the first stage. And the come on. And in the second stage, the main thing is telling people why you want to be engaged in the ministry. Why you want to be a leader in the ministry. And the sharper your why, the easier to get people to do it. The sharper your why, the easier it is to get people to do it. When they dial into the only station they listen to, WWIFM, what's in it for me? That's the only station people listen to. And if you can dial in a Y on that station, you will get people moved here. Now, I will readily tell you, in this hybrid context, a lot of members are confused. They don't know how to actually be engaged in this hybrid context. You're going to have to help them understand and give them a strong Y to even keep struggling until they understand. Just, just a tip there. Um, every month you need to have vision casting. People, I, I, I like to ask people to do the Clifton strengths, at least find out what their top five strengths are. So it will help them to kind of home in on where they might fit in ministry. I believe in ministry fairs. A lot of church, I know Every church, there are members who have been in that church forever, and they couldn't tell you what the church does. They have no idea because they're not personally involved, so they don't know what the church does. Even after you have announced it every week, they still don't know. I remember, this is what brought it home to me. I remember clearly having a big, big announcement about some big something we were doing at the church And at the back door at the end of the service, someone said to me, Pastor, we're not doing anything at this church. I said, did you hear what we were talking about today? They said, no, I didn't. They were sitting there, but they didn't hear it. You know why? They tuned it out. You know why? They're not engaged. They don't care what you all are doing, and they're looking around saying nothing's happening. It's important that they, um, so ministry fairs, kind of help people to see what ministries are available, how do you get involved in it, et cetera, and various ministry (laughs) recruiting ideas. All the time telling them why. Why, 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 why. Okay. Um, I told you I believe in applications. We can talk about that in the question and answer period. Uh, And ministry interviews, I believe in that. And we can talk about it in the question and answer period if you choose. Um, Moving people from committed to core, in my view, you've got to do leadership training, leadership mentoring, leadership recruiting, and you've got to have a nurture process under all of it. But leadership, now, how often should you have leadership training? What would you say? How often do you need to have it? Whenever you need it. That's the answer. Whenever you need it. Thank you. Thank you. There are some churches where the leadership is strong. And leadership training is not how to lead this particular ministry. 
leadership training is how to be a leader. A lot of people who are in positions are not leaders. They're the doer of that ministry. They don't lead it at all. They don't know what leadership is. If you're doing it, you're not the leader. I'm going to say that again. If you're doing it, you're not the leader. You're the doer. And often the leader is the doer because they don't want their ministry to fall down, and they, are, they and maybe one or two others are the only ones doing it. So they want to make sure it gets done. That's why I said less is more. If you don't have the resources to do it, don't do it. Even if it's good to do, don't do it until you have the resources to do it. That includes people resources. That's just my opinion. Um, I'm trying to move quickly. Now, nurture. You must have a system, and it must be a system because it won't work if it's not a system. You must have a system to figure out who's coming, who's not. That's why you start with which group, group. You know where everybody, which group everybody is in. So then you've got individual plans of care for everybody in those groups. Now you say, how on earth can you do that? Well, that's beyond what we could talk about here today. But yes, you've got to do that. And you've got to have a system for determining when people are missing. Now, in my view, this is just my opinion, the Sabbath school class system is the best system for keeping track of everybody in the church. Because even if people don't come to Sabbath school, they could be assigned to a Sabbath school class. Now, if you've got 100 members in three Sabbath school classes, that won't work. You understand what I'm saying? Because there'll be too many people in the class to keep up with. But if you break it down, some other churches do it by elders. We've got 20 elders. We've broken up the whole church. The elder elder has 10 families. Okay, whatever your system You've got to have a system so you're able to touch people on a regular basis and they can't disappear. Here's why this is important. I was at a church, we were talking about this, and a member raised their hand. And this member said, I am a founding member of this church. I've been in this church as long as this church has been here. And I got sick and I was absent from church for more than six months and absolutely nobody called me. Now that's a problem. When one of your most prominent members disappears for six months and nobody notices. Nurture means they can't disappear at all. Now, I believe with church management software, once they get on your list, even if they're part of the community, because somehow they got on your list, that's my key cue that they want to be a member. And I'm going to keep sending them information. I'm not going to spam them, but on a regular basis, every month at least, they're going to get something from us, telling us what, telling them what's going on at the church, uh, inviting them to things, come to the pastor's uh, reception, and then get a call. Uh, we'd love to have you at the pastor's reception. Have a system for keeping track of everybody. Now, that's a lot of work. Yes, it is, but that's why you have tools. The church management software can help you. There's management software that will automatically send your stuff out once a month to everybody on your list. You could send them a real letter or you could send them an email. Uh, you could send them a text. You could send a video. You could send them a leak, link to a video. There are things you can do to automate to make it easy, but you've got to do it or you're going to lose them. Right? All right. Quick check-in. Is this information uh, helpful? Okay. Um, so we're just talking about moving people, and these are ideas, and I'm going the wrong way. Sorry. Um, give me just a second to check this out. Expectations. Let me tell you what you can expect when you start trying to implement this system. Let me tell you what you can expect. Are you ready? Resistance. You must expect resistance. 
and you must expect trying to implement this system is going to take you longer than you think it should. Why? Because it's a paradigm shift from maintenance to growth. And people are used to maintenance. It's, and whenever you're changing the paradigm, there's going to be discomfort. Discomfort produces resistance. So the question, the obvious question is, how do you overcome resistance? You must keep the why you're doing what you're doing before them. You've got to keep the why before them. You bring it in sermons. Because if it's biblical, they can't fight it but for so long. Now, I'm not talking about eisegesis. I'm talking about exegesis. And you know the difference. Eisegesis is my thoughts in the text. Exegesis is the text thoughts in me. So we've got to exegete the Bible correctly, but you've got to show people why it's important. The Lord adding daily to the church. He expects the church to grow. He wants us to be in a growth ministry. So if that's the case, we've got to do things so that the ministry can grow. We've got to make changes because most churches have plateaued or declining. We've got to make a change in order to do what it is God wants us to do. To overcome the resistance, you've got to keep the why before the people. And when you think they've got it, they don't have it. When they tell you they've got it, they don't have it. They don't understand it. You ask them, why are we doing this? And they're going to say, I don't know, Pastor. I don't know. I don't know why we're doing this. The church manual says that's what they're going to do. How do I know that? Because that's what they did to me. But how did I overcome it? I explained to them, I'm not against the church manual. We're not moving against the church manual. We're moving in line with what Christ has asked us to do in the Great Commission. And there are people who, men, women, boys, and girls, who are dying in their sins because we're happy just having church. We've got to get out and get those people. We cannot just enjoy ourselves. We've got to enjoy ourselves as we do the work of the Lord. So uh, that's how you overcome resistance, which will come then. When you think you've explained that phase one, phase one, and you think you have worked out a system, the very people you work the system out with, by the way, don't do it on your own. Keep your leaders in it. Say, here's what we're trying to do. Now tell us, how do we do this? And let them work on it. Let them struggle with it. And when they get through struggling with it, you know what they're going to tell you? Pastor, we did it, but we don't want to do this. That's what they're going to tell you. And the reason they're going to tell you is because it's, it's different. It's not what they're used to. And they're not sure if they're going to be able to pull it off. You've got to keep encouraging them. Oh, yes, this is exactly you. We prayed about it, didn't we? We worked on it together, didn't we? You and I together. It's not my idea. It's not your idea. It's our idea that God gave us based on what we're trying to achieve, that he asked us to do in his word, right? All right, so let's try it for a little while. And because they're resisting it, it takes longer than you want it to take. But if you don't get weary and well-doing in due season, you will reap if you faint not. I'm telling you, we had an, a, a conversation with a church where I actually worked with a church for over a year with this system. And it took them longer than they wanted to get where they are. But they're, they're making tremendous progress. And we were talking, and one of the key leaders said, I said... Lord, why are we doing this? Key leader now, strong advocate for today. But when in the beginning, actually the words were, I was praying, oh, Jesus, be a fence. No, we don't want to do this. They didn't want to do it. But the more they understood by experience, they stopped resisting. And when they stopped resisting, they started seeing results. When they started seeing results, they started getting excited. And when they saw there were some chinks in the armor, the system wasn't working quite the way they wanted it to, they saw the need to make adjustments. And when they made the adjustments, it worked better. And when it started working better, they started getting excited because this is exactly what we said we wanted to do. We want our church to grow. And now we're beginning to see the fruit of it a year later. So I want to tell you, during this, it's going to take you longer than you think, 
and I'm going to tell you something that's not in my notes. It'll never be finished. Here's why it will never be finished. Because things will change, and you're going to have to adapt because they've changed. Not adapt your goal, but adapt your method, how you get to the goal. So it's going to take you longer. They're going to resist. You can overcome the resistance, and then once you start getting it going, it's never finished because you always see a way to do it better. And then the other thing that happens is people come and go. And I think I'm about out of time. So I'm going to just uh, put this back up so you can see it again. 